And we are excited about what God uh, is doing. I hope he's doing a work in your heart because I know that he's doing a work in your pastor's heart. Uh, Man, welcome in to our 1030 service. Uh, Man, we got uh, so much going on right now. Fall is officially like here. If Yesterday was actually cool, uh, and uh, but man, there is so many, so much activity going on in our church uh, right now. Uh, we've got. I want to remind you, the ladies are meeting tonight for women's Bible study. Uh, they will normally be in the village at Kathy Gentry's house. They are meeting uh, at. Um, Marcy White's house tonight. So hopefully you ladies have uh, already gotten your books. You're a week in or five days in so that we can meet tonight. If you have not done that, don't show up at the women's. I'm just kidding. Please, by all means, get your book today. We would love to have you a part of it. The way that we're spacing out the Bible study, it actually works out great to catch up because we're stretching a week material into two weeks. Uh, so you've got plenty of time to catch up. We would love for you to do that. Love for you to be a part of that. Men, fellas, these women have turned out in force, all right, getting these books. If you are going to participate in our men's Bible study, we're doing the same thing. We'll be meeting at uh, Conrad Bonner's house we'll in, there in Ardmore. It's not even really Ardmore. It's kind of Ardmore. It's, it's close, all right? I promise you it's not far away. Uh, and uh, I will be leading that study. My wife's leading the women's study. So we just felt impressed to do that. Uh, and so we're leading through this, these studies. Uh, man, we would invite you to be a part of that. If you want to participate, we have Experiencing God books right now for sale for $20 that basically just recoups what we have in it. Not quite, but pretty close. All right. So if you would like to give, uh, to get a book, uh, do you can do that at next steps. They can take that and give you a book and we would love for you to participate with us, man. It is going to be a great study. And remember as, as I've been reminded vision isn't just something that you preach in a series or one Sunday vision leaks and drips on everything. And so I will continue to be putting this before you. I want to challenge you to be a part of that. If you can, we would love for you to do that because we are going to drive some discipleship efforts through both of those ministries, men and women's ministry, very, very soon. All right. Um, Also, by way of announcement, I want to remind you that this next Sunday is the last Sunday for you to turn in supplies for our uh, East Kentucky flood relief. So make sure that you grab a, also at Next Steps, you hear us say Next Steps a lot, almost like we want you to go by there sometimes, just be like, hey, what do I need to be filled in on? Um, Stop by Next Steps. They've got a list there of all the things that we are raising, uh, we are are accumulating, and then we have already got folks that are going to have, have volunteered to drive it up to East Kentucky to help with some of the flood relief. So that is Sunday. So make sure you bring that stuff Sunday. I don't know where we're going to put it, but we'll put it somewhere, all right? Uh, And then we'll get it where it needs to go that next week. I would also like to say, um, just as announced before we move into our time uh, of service, I remember eighth grade, Coach Beard's classroom, science class. uh, I'll never forget uh, being told one of the teachers sticking their head in the door and telling us that one of the World Trade Centers had been hit. Uh, we, we turned on our TV in the classroom there and within 30 seconds watched the second plane hit the second tower. 
Um, and and I, just, I just want us to remember today the attacks of September 11, 2001. Man, 2,996 people left that morning and could not return back home to their families and their loved ones. And so um, I, I just, I want us to remember that. I want us to be uh, in continual prayer for that in our country as we continue to heal in that. Matter of fact, let, let's, let me just lead us in a word of prayer. If you would just bow your head and close your eyes as we, as, we be, as we begin here and transition into the word. Father, God, we, we thank you, God, that you are in control. And God, you are sovereign. But God, we know that because of sin, God, that has separated us from you, Lord, we live in a fallen world. And so, Lord, we, we lift up, God, as we remember today the families of those that were affected by the September 11th attacks, Lord, those that are still healing, living life without their loved ones in wake of those attacks. Father, I just pray that you would that you would encourage them, Lord, that you would strengthen them. Lord, I pray that you would be with our country. God, in the state that we are in now, God, I pray that you would continue. As we've just sang, you, you provided then and you can provide now. God, I pray that our country would be one, uh, Lord, that would seek your face and would turn from all of our wickedness. And God, that you would bring healing God, I pray for our, our government and our officials. I pray as they seek to lead, God, I pray they would lead from wisdom that is beyond themselves. I pray that we as your people would fall under that leadership as your word tells us to do. And God, that we would support them in as much as we can in agreement with your will and your gospel and in what your word teaches. And God, we just... We thank you for the ability right now that we have to assemble together publicly. And we are Facebook official meeting today. And Lord, that doesn't happen everywhere. And so Lord, we thank you for those that have paid the ultimate price and those that are serving even now, Lord, to protect that freedom. God, we pray that you would visit them. We pray that you would give them strength and endurance. But God, we just, we dedicate this time and this worship to you. And God, we just pray that we'd be ever mindful uh, Lord, of what you're doing and where you're at work around us. Lord, put people in our path that we can minister to, Lord, in the days and the weeks ahead. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you all for that. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're in the middle of our combo series. This is my story. That means that if you weren't in group this week, you missed out. You missed something critical and awesome and important about our testimony, how we can impact the lives of others with the story that God has given us as believers. God desires to use our story to connect people with his story so that others can have a story so that they can then connect others. Do you see what's happening here, right? God desires to use us, use our testimony in a powerful way to bring freedom and light and the light of the gospel to others, right? And so we talked about, we actually worked on workshops, some of our testimonies and shared some of our testimonies this week in small groups. If you haven't participated, if you haven't signed up, guess where you can go? 
Next Steps. Y'all got it. Go to Next Steps or visit online on our website. Get signed up for a home group. You don't want to miss this study. That is what we're doing all month is we are driving everything that we are doing through those home groups as well to have, provide very practical application uh, for the theological constructs that we're talking about each and every Sunday. So don't miss it. Uh, I lead a group that I love. It's the highlight of my week. And so I hope that you are engaged in that way. All right. But open your, as you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, uh, we talked about last week, the woman at the well. What I love about the woman at the well is of all the people in the world, she's the least likely to make an impact. She's not only a Samaritan who is an outsider. She's not only a woman who would have been marginalized more in that culture than, than they wouldn't be today. Uh, but she is actually a reject in her own social group, right? She has been married five times. The man she's with now is not her husband and nobody, she is a pariah of society. Nobody wants anything to do with this woman. But God uses her. Jesus encounters her. And she doesn't have all the theological concepts constructed perfectly and wordsmithed in such a way that tears will up and well up in people's eyes and they're saved. But she comes with a very simple message. Hey, you know all those things that y'all are talking about me behind closed doors, behind my back? Come and let me show you a man that's told me all of that without talking to y'all first. She brought people to Jesus, and as a result of her faithfulness, her word, the people heard and believed for themselves, and the entire community was saved. What was her principal shame became the principal marketing technique to bring people to the gospel. That, talk about a redemption of a story. And we find something similar today, a man that is unlearned, a man that doesn't have all the papers on the wall, all the accolades of man. Uh, he doesn't wear the funny robes. He doesn't look like a preacher. He doesn't look like an evangelist. He doesn't look like a Pharisee, or he doesn't walk around with scrolls of scripture in his hand, but God uses them to connect people closest to him to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. This week, we're going to look at the Philippian jailer. In our series entitled, This Is My Story, we'll look at the Philippian jailer who would introduce his family to Christ that was not only, that not, not only the Christ that not only preserved his mortal life, that what Christ did saved him, but also saved his life for eternity as well. And so first we see we're following the similar outline, the same outline in each of these each of these messages. Let's look first at the encounter in Acts 16 verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Messiah, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas. Can I just tell you, this is, and you're thinking, oh, there's a bunch of funny words, and you got caught up in all that, right? Literally, I had to take the words out and put my own enunciation uh, so that I wouldn't completely butcher those. Probably should have done that with the Amalekites a couple of weeks ago, but it didn't. So I've learned from my mistakes. Oh, you got caught up in all the words. Can I tell you, this is probably one of the more convicting parts of this entire message. You know why? When's the last time that you have felt God so closely 
felt his Holy Spirit so intimately that it had such practical ramifications for where you went and where you didn't go that you knew everywhere you went was where he would have you to be. The push and pull of the Holy Spirit of God in connection with the relationship with believers that is not just here, but all over the book of Acts, not just Paul, but Peter and others, man, all over the book of Acts are people that are so in tune with the Holy Spirit that they literally go to walk to a town and then Jesus goes, and the Holy Spirit goes, nope, and they turn around and they go somewhere else. Ding, 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 that's where you head, buddy. This is what we see happening, and it's just an afterthought. Of course Paul would be led like this. Y'all, we live in the same era and time in Scripture. We live in the time after the resurrected Christ, once the Holy Spirit has been given to believers. This is the intimacy we see with the Holy Spirit. This is not something that is not available to us. He's the same God. God, move in that way in my heart. Let me be so in tune with you that I feel the push and pull of your Holy Spirit in everyday life. This is what we see. Verse 9. Sorry, that was free. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is Paul and Silas, and obviously by connection Luke, because he's the writer and he's using the word us. So Paul wakes up and he says, Hey, God said we couldn't go to Messiah. Let's go to Macedonia. I had a dream of a Macedonian man asking me for help. And so he responds to this vision, and they find themselves in the city of Philippi. This was the gateway to all of Macedonia. Powerful place of commerce and importance in that world in that time. And they come to Philippi, and within one week, they hear about a Bible study. Bible study that's happening at the riverbank. Say, hey, you know what? Let's go to that Bible study. They go to the Bible study. They meet a man, a woman named Lydia. They share Jesus with Lydia. Lydia is saved, but not just Lydia, but her entire household with her. And then Lydia is stubborn. Lydia is stubborn, and she won't take no for an answer. Go back and read it, Acts 16. Read it. She won't take no for an answer, though they said, no, we don't want to impose. She said, get your stinking tails into my house. Like, come hang out with us, live with us. Not only, so they get there within a week, not only has somebody come to Christ in their entire household, but now they got a base of operations. They got a place to stay. Anytime they came to Philippi, they checked on Lydia and them. Right? They just did. Because God had given them this favor. Well, literally, what could be the next day, we know it's not the same day, but what literally could be the next day, I assume a very, very short period of time goes by. They're headed to the same Bible study. We'll call it maybe an experiencing God Bible study. I'm just kidding. They're going headed to another to that same Bible study, and there, on their way, they have an interaction with a young woman, a slave girl, 
who begins declaring who they are as messengers. And the reason why that's dangerous is because a slave girl who's demon-possessed proclaiming who they are probably not the best, you know, commendation that you can receive, right? Like you don't want a demon-possessed person vouching for you. And so Paul turns around and the demon is, it leaves her, right? She, he, he exercises this demon. And so here's where the problem though, right? That's a win, right? A girl that was demon-possessed is no longer demon-possessed, right? Win for God. Yay. Well, you see the slave girl had owners and her owners made a lot of money on the fortunes that she would tell other people demonically. And they had a real problem with what Paul did. And so they began to confront Paul and they began to stir up a riot. I mean, we're, we're talking days, weeks into them being at Philippi. You think all this good stuff is happening, then all of a sudden, man, carpet rug pool, right? They are in the middle of it. Just listen to it. Verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. They find themselves naked, being ridiculed and beaten. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Here's the encounter. The first time they meet the jailer, he's not very nice. His life depends on them being kept safely. We see that later. It's why he tries to kill himself when he thinks they're gone. Right? His life depends on them being kept safely. So he doesn't just put them in a prison cell. He puts them in the inner prison. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Man, talk about a change of events on your mission trip, right? You went from leading whole families and having a base of operations to being neat and beaten, naked, beaten, and thrown in prison, put in stocks, right? Not just any, every ordinary prison cell, but the inner prison, which history tells us some pretty, we have some pretty good ideas of what that life was like. A Roman prison was typically circular, and around the outside were bordered outside cells. They were prison cells that would have windows. Obviously, the light would be able to get in. The breeze could come in. Rough conditions, but still, it was manageable. The inner cell was something entirely different. In fact, the word could literally be translated dungeon. The inner cell had no windows. The inner cell was the most secure place that any prisoner could be held. There was no access to light it was completely pitch black dark. There was no access to, to free air, flowing air, so it was stagnant and it was hot. The prison system had to figure out a way for sewage because you can't just walk people out of their cell every time they need to go tinkle. So they had latrines that were dug in these cells, and the latrines would all flow to the middle where they would be flushed out, and there was a central drain. We, we know this from the Mamertine prison in Rome. There would be a central drain located very, very near, if not in the innermost cells of the prison. So literally, they are in the worst possible case scenario. Not only that, but then their feet are put in stocks. Now, yesterday, I watched 
ball games for a really, really ridiculously long time. And they're not the kind that you're thinking. Propped up in my lazy boy yelling at the TV because my team ain't doing what they're supposed to be doing. I was on bleacher seats. And very soon upon sitting on those bleacher seats, I realized my tush was not designed for that seat. So I sat, I would have to stand up from time to time. I'd let my rear end regain the shape that it was supposed to be in, and then I'd sit back down, right? Don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about, because you do. I was miserable, right? I mean, this ain't comfortable anymore. This was nice to be able to take a load off for a second, but now I am, I'm, I'm ready to get up and move, right? That wasn't an option. When your legs in stocks, they were designed for your legs to be spread out very far so that there was no possible way you could distribute your weight right? You couldn't stand up. It was supposed to, it was designed to bring agony. It was designed to bring misery. This is where Paul and Silas find themselves, the same ones that were having a powerful revival in the home of Lydia. The next day, find themselves beaten and naked and thrown into the innermost cell. This is their encounter with the jailer. We skip the story of Lydia to see what God does with the jailer. And the stories are eerily similar. Yeah, all the context is different. But what God does is the same. Look secondly at the engagement. Look at verse 25. About midnight, under those circumstances, with that stink, with that heat, with that level of discomfort, with that lack of sun, with that lack of flowing air, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Did you catch that at the end? They were praising and singing hymns to God, Hallelujah. And all of those crack-smoking atheists that deserve to be there were listening. All of those prisoners in all of those cells, knowing the conditions that Paul and Silas were in, were amazed and were listening in bewilderment, bewilderment more than likely to what was happening in that cell. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. God did something similar in Acts 12 with Peter. An angel just comes up and taps Peter on the shoulder and he what, wakes up from his sleep between two guards, gets up, and the angel says, walk out of this prison, because that is a completely crazy thing to be happening. He just assumes he's dreaming until he finds himself on the outside of the prison, and the doors slam, and he's like, holy cow, this is real. And then he walks, and he tells the believers that we're making intercession for him. Acts chapter 16, don't go, that, don't go, don't, don't go down that way. The same Holy Spirit that would draw them and woo them and push them away and put up barriers to where they would go found its way even into the prison. Because listen what happens. They're unfastened. The prison doors are open. And listen, you can bet your sweet Beppy, if I am in prison wrongfully, I am imprisoned wrongfully, 
and the prison doors swing open and I am given a red carpet out of that place, your boy's gone. Blowing rump in your face, I'm out of there. That's not what Paul and Silas do. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Because his life depended on keeping those prisoners safe. But, the Paul, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. You know, talk about buy-in to vision. Holy cow, men in prison cells, hearing people praising in the middle of misery, kept all of them in place. It wasn't just Paul and Silas. I mean, they're followers of Jesus, right? They're disciples even, right? Like, sure, okay, fine, they stay in place, but all the prisoners stayed in place. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights. And he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. There was no angel leading them out. The Holy Spirit, I would argue, constrained them greater than any man-made barricade or stock could ever contain them. Stay here, there's something for you. There's something that I'm doing. There's a reason for your misery right now. And they stayed put. And this jailer who they've encountered and didn't treat them very nicely, might I add, locked them away in the inner cell. Sure, you could have put us in a nicer accommodation, right? And you could have just not put our feet in stocks, but no, you did it all. Punk. They find themselves with the jailer completely at their mercy. I, I believe the jailer probably believed them to be gods themselves. And remember, he was in, 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 in the Roman captivity, right? As, as a Roman, he probably believed in the pantheon of gods and thought that God, one of the gods had come down or two of the gods had come down and performed this miraculous work. I believe he was literally pleading for his life in front of them. If these men were able, capable of doing this, they were attrib- was attributing God's power to man's power. And so he falls down before them. And so look at the effect. Lastly, verse 30. Then he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, they could have had a conversation before that's not recorded here, or God could have supernaturally revealed the gospel to this man. But I don't believe his question is as spiritual and theological as we think in our mindset. I think he, re- he thought in his mind, if these guys can perform a miracle so powerful that an earthquake happens and their chains fall off and prison doors swing open, then they can kill me with the snap of a finger. So I think he was literally pleading for his life. What do I have to do to make this right to you? I am sorry, my bad. What do I have to do for my life to be spared? And listen how they respond. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your entire 
household. Believe in the Lord Jesus. This is not man's power. This is not Paul and Silas's power. This is God's power. And he did everything that has happened to us in the last 24 hours. He has done it to bring this message to you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your entire household. Now that did not mean that if the jailer would receive Christ and his family would be saved by default. That's not what that means. They were speaking prophetically that you will receive Christ and this night your family will receive Christ as well. Why do we know that? Verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They spoke it to the jailer and to who were in his house. They spoke the same gospel to the jailer and to his family. The jailer believed, the jailer received. And listen, remember, this is the same guys that if they get free, he will be killed. He invites the, them into his home. They could have, psych, we're out of here, sucker, and taken off running, right? But he invites him, believing wholly and completely the gospel that was shared with him. He believes and he brings them to his home. By the way, in the middle of the stinking night, it was midnight when they were singing in the earthquake happened. Can you imagine waking up your kids, waking up your wives, one, two o'clock in the morning? Hey, 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 get up, get up, get up. I got a preacher that wants to talk to you. That's what he does. That very night, they poured water and they were baptized. That very night. Just like the Samaritan woman, the jailer was not the most theologically gifted, charismatically inclined personable in speech. He had a simple testimony. These guys could have left and they didn't. The Holy Spirit kept them there so that the Holy Spirit could come to me. Let them tell you about it for a second. Him and his entire household were saved. And he took them the same hour in the night, washed their wounds, and he, baptized, and, was, and he was baptized at once, he and his whole family. And he brought them into his house. He set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Did you catch that too? His whole family gathered around the table. They were all talking about how glad they were that daddy believed in Jesus. He believed in God, and he brought the family along with him. It doesn't just happen in Acts. It happens today, too. Why don't you hear the testimony of one of our own? Kathy and I, we struggled for the first couple of years of our marriage. It, it was basically due to infidelity on my part before we got married and after we got married. And it wasn't until I really got serious and surrendered my life to the Lord that 
things kind of started changing, but it was a slow process. And the culmination of what took place with transformed our marriage was when we both decided to truly focus on our relationship with the Lord and let that be the, uh, the guidance we we're gonna use to kind of resolve the issues in our marriage. I told the Lord, if you don't change me, this is not gonna, this, I'm gonna ruin this easily. We've been extended so much forgiveness and it's not always about, you know, everybody says, well, they'll do it again. Well, they'll do that, but we sin again and again and again, and we're offered forgiveness again and again and again. And if you're not willing to allow that, then it will never work either. I mean, forgiveness is huge and it's not gonna happen overnight and it's not gonna happen tomorrow. And it's, it's a step-by-step -step of you looking to the Lord and saying, okay, you forgave me, so I need to extend that also. If I had not loved him the way that the Lord loved me, what right did I have to walk away? Till we have truly honored the Lord in our relationships, can we say truly that we've done everything we can, we've done everything possible. And I'm just thankful I didn't give up. Cause, or not that I didn't give up, but that the, the Lord kind of convicted me to, to stick it out. It ain't always perfect. And there's times that little triggers will happen, but I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to do life with anybody but him. It, like I said, you got to go through some stuff. Truly recognize just the blessings the Lord has really been gracious to bestow upon you. And Kathy's been a blessing to me. And 10 years, for our, 10 years being 10 years together, which is a short time for some people, but, but for us, you know, it's, it's a testimony to those who are willing to take the Lord truly at his word and just kind of lean into him seeing what he can do with your with your circumstances amen he took the lord seriously and then things began to change he believed inside into that story kathy believed kathy received christ and through her interactions with him and his own separate things going on in his life, Lawrence received Christ. And God navigated them, put an end to generational curses in their families because they believed in the Lord. They trusted him, and they navigated some really, really difficult things. But why? Why even put up with it? Because of what God had put up for them. God had extended mercy and forgiveness and grace, and they lived in that same way. And here's the rest of that story. When they received Christ, their boys, their twin boys, were teenagers. They're now a lot closer to my age than they would probably like you to know. So I won't tell you, but they grown now. Both of them invested and plugged in in the churches that they're a part of. Both of them growing in their relationship with Christ. They believed and God changed the trajectory of their whole family. This is what God 
can do. And he's not looking for the most qualified. He's not looking for the one that has all of the accolades and that's passed the gotten the certificate of completion through the evangelism explosion guide or the sharing Jesus without fear or the whatever, four spiritual laws. I mean, the three circles evangelism. He's not waiting for you to learn all of that. You may be thinking in this room what a lot of people are thinking. And that is, I can't share my testimony because I don't know enough. Now, that, by the way, that should challenge us. That, that, that is a humility that should, that should challenge us. But that is looking at yourself to have all the answers. Do you see what the jailer did? Instantly. He needed missionaries. And God sent him some. Through some really crazy circumstances, God sent him missionaries. Instantly, he became a missionary. And his entire family, his entire family was transformed. God's not waiting for you to reach some level of accreditation. You don't have to have all the answers because you have new life in Christ and Christ has all the answers, right? We learned that in Sunday school. He's always the answer, isn't he? If you don't know what to say, Jesus, and then it'll probably work. If not, the teacher, you know, at least gonna have egg on her face. She's gonna say, no, that's not the answer. Jesus isn't the answer. You know, like, Jesus is always the answer. Jesus is our answer, y'all. And listen, I'm not standing before you. Listen, I, you know, degrees and whatever. I'm standing before you saying, this is what Jesus has done in me. And this is what he can do in you. That is my message every Sunday. And today is no different. I'm just a... Samaritan outcast. I'm just a pagan jailer who was far away from Jesus and who God brought near to his incredible gospel. And I owe that story to you. And you owe that story to others. And God can use it in a powerful way if we will just be obedient. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's never been a time where you've responded and you don't have that story of passing from death to life. Please let today be that day. In just a moment, I'm gonna say amen. I'm gonna be here at the front. I'd love to talk to you if you need a relationship with Jesus. Please come find me. Don't worry about whoever else is in this room. If the Holy Spirit, remember we talked about that at the beginning, like the, the wooing and the drawing and the, 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 the blocking of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you, come today. Quit putting it off. Quit gripping the seat in front of you and let him have your heart. Give over control. Start your story today. I would love to talk to you if you need that relationship with Christ. And we've got others that would love to celebrate with you. Forget about what's around. Forget about who might see, what they may know, and respond to Jesus. Let him make you new. Listen, I know that God is calling people in this room 
And I don't know what that calling looks like for you. I can tell you that Paul and Silas didn't know. Maybe the calling to you looks like going to a Lydia comfortably at a Bible study to share Christ with and you get to experience the win of her entire family coming to Jesus. But maybe God is going to call you to do something very uncomfortable. Something that could be very divisive. Something that could cause a lot of conflict. Something that could cause a lot of individual pain to you. Maybe he's called you to the jailer. Somebody that you know that is far away from him. Maybe he puts you in a circumstance. Maybe you find yourself in a prison right now. Maybe he has you there to share it with somebody there. Somebody that knows what you're going through. I would just invite you to look past your circumstances and your pain and what is temporary. Things that are seen are temporary. Things that are unseen are eternal. So maybe you need to come today and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to realign yourself and maybe you need to answer the call that God has placed in your life to share him using your story to intersect with his story to bring people to their story for the glory of God I just want you to be obedient today that's what this time of response is an opportunity for you to be obedient Father have your will and way in this place in our hearts in our minds and that's Let that not just be a construct of words that we hear and we allow it to brush over us and not affect us. God, you have such a calling on our lives. Whether we see it now or we don't, you've called us. You're calling some for salvation, for relationship today. You're calling some for the relationship of others. You're calling us. Let us get out of the way and see what you can do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? May you respond. This altar is open. Whatever you need to do, respond in obedience to him as he draws.